Welcome to the supporting cast. This is Eli Goldsmith. Today's guest is Lily Collins, actor, producer, and centerpiece of the global Netflix phenomenon, Emily in Paris. In this episode, Lily joins us from New York amid a massive press tour, wedged between late-night talk show appearances to speak about the responsibility she carries as both the Emily in Paris series lead and, more broadly, as a public figure. To the latter, Lily describes her choice in the 2017 memoir Unfiltered to speak about personal challenges in her teenage years, including battling an eating disorder. Lily insists that a principal reason she felt so prepared to share her truth was the confidence and sense of community she gained from Harvard-Westlake peer support. Lily remains close to this day with her HW peer support friends and credits the group's embrace with her finding such a strong personal and professional community as an adult. Whether at home with husband Charlie or on set, learning from other first-on-the-call-sheet mentors like Sandra Bullock and Julia Roberts. Lily Collins on Emily in Paris, Uncomfortable Conversations and Finding the Profound Support of Peers at Harvard-Westlake. This is The Supporting Cast. Welcome to the supporting cast. Thank you for having me. So cool to be back in some sort of a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've been starting each conversation the last few seasons, especially with COVID-19. It's kind of a check-in. How are you doing? How are you doing with the pandemic? I'd love to really not focus on the, the pandemic, you know, for a while. I think we're yes. all trying to get past it a little bit. Not that it isn't still exactly. impacting people, of course, and we want people to take appropriate precautions and do all the right things. But give me a sense of where you are right now physically and, and what's going on in your life today. Physically, I am in a hotel room in the middle of a press tour at the very end, actually, of the press tour for season three of Emily in Paris, a show that I'm very grateful to be a part of. And I guess since graduating, I mean, it's, it's, I'm now married. I'm married. Wow. I've moved. I've started a, a new chapter of my life. I'm on a season three of a show that I never in my wildest dreams would have thought I'd be fortunate enough to be a part of. And I'm experiencing life in so many different ways. And, you know, I still, some of my closest, closest friends and my ride or dies are my Harvard Westlake crew. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Liana Weston and I, Still super tight. Mark Dumay and I still super tight. Alex on. It's great. And you know what? That peer support crew, peer support truly changed my life. And and I run into people all the time where we just look at each other and go, peer support. <laughs> well, can we talk? I know I want to talk about Emily in Paris, but since you brought it up, kind of talk yeah. about peer support. Why would you say that peer support at the upper school, um, oh how did it change your life? It was the first time I think I felt as a young person empowered to feel and to not have shame attached to feelings and communication. And I mm. think it's so important. As an adult, I'm a huge advocate of therapy and self-growth and self-work and, and whatever it takes and whatever nonlinear journey that is for you in 
the way in which you grow up, however you want to communicate and talk about your feelings. But I really believe that having a program like peer support was so life-changing because it allowed us as students to be able to feel empowered to ask questions, listen to one another in ways that maybe we wouldn't have if we didn't feel safe enough to before. Like the idea that we could have that security in a room to discuss our feelings, connect to one another, that was so powerful. And I have since wanted you know, more people to have that opportunity and to take it to more places. Because I think if you start at a young age, being comfortable with your feelings and within yourself and how you communicate, that just helps you on your path to adulthood. And it was just so wonderful. And, and I, everyone that I've spoken to since graduating has never said anything but that. And it's like this deep found connection and history that I share with people that we may not be in the same industry, living in the same place, but whenever we see each other or run into each other, there's that deep sense of knowing that we were part of something special. So I'm, I'm forever grateful for that from, from school. And as you carry that into adulthood, you said you're in a new phase of your life. You're married now. You're at the centerpiece of this huge, successful television show. Have you been able to find peer support kind of in adulthood? Um, and if yeah. so, kind of who are the people right now? You're amid this press tour. I've been working with your wonderful PR team to kind of get this through. Thank you to them. Um, who are the people around you when you're facing challenges today? I like to think I've sought those people out as well. You know, yeah. I've I've been with my team professionally for so long now. My publicity team I've been with for over 10 years, and I probably met them while I was at Harvard-Westlake. So oh, wow. we've been together for a very long time. And professionally, yeah, I, I get to spend time with people that I feel really add value to my life, but also that I feel secure and trust and that they have my back in a lot of ways. And then personally, though, I now have my husband, which is the best support, you know, and I feel like I got to marry my best friend, which is such a gift. And I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I feel so lucky that, that he gets to travel with me. We get to travel around together and work together in a lot of ways. But my closest friends, again, I'm a big therapy advocate. So I, I have a therapist. I have people that are professionals that can help and chime in when they need to, when I'm needing guidance in some sort of a way. I have my best friends. I have my crew that I use for my hair and makeup that I've known for years as well. They're always cheering me on emotionally and spiritually and physically. And, you know, I think that we just get to create as we get older the people that we spend the most time with that become our family in a lot of ways and that are there peer to peer to support one another, regardless of if you're in the same industry or not. But if you find yourself existing within the similar circles that we do, you really get to curate the people that you spend your time with. And I just only want to be around people that make me feel like the best version of myself. And I don't mean that aesthetically, I mean that like internally, who makes me feel the most confident, the most centered, the most enough and comfortable to talk because that's the most important thing. If you don't feel comfortable talking, getting out things, feeling all the feelings, then you can't be that most comfortable, confident version of yourself. Well, let's get to, uh, we can kind of go back to Harvard-Westlake a little bit later in the conversation, but can you talk a little bit about this week? You're in New York, you're in the middle of this kind of press junket for season three of Emily in Paris. 
what are the other things that you're doing this week? I am not, sadly, the, the most famous person that you are, are having a conversation <laughs> with this week in New York. Talk about the different type of things you're doing this week in New York. So we started this press tour probably about a week and a half ago, maybe. We were started it in Paris. Okay. And that was really special because it was the first time, actually, including New York, it's the first press tour that any of the cast have been able to do together because the show came out in the first wave of the pandemic. So we were experiencing it on Zoom from our living rooms. Second season, we were supposed to be experiencing it in Paris and a week before the trip got canceled. Again, for very valid, very logical, very safe reasons, but we were unable to celebrate together. And then this is the first year that we're all here in one place, starting in the city that the show celebrates that has embraced us having this blowout premiere underneath the Eiffel tower, which was crazy and beautiful and exciting. And it felt real all of a sudden in the weirdest of ways. And then now coming into New York, it's back to the hustle and bustle of a press tour where there's three talk shows in a day. The other day I got here to New York from Europe and that morning, 5 a.m., I'm already in hair and makeup, get to Good Morning America by 7, you're on air, you then get shuttled to the next thing where you do a whole full look changeover, did the view, and then from there, do a whole new changeover, go to Colbert, and then you finish at like 7 or 8 p.m., completely wiped, and you're like, what's up for tomorrow? And then the next day starts the same thing again. And you're only ever in one city for a few days and every day is just jam packed. And, you know, New York is so wonderfully busy anyway. And it's just the mania and the the excitement is, is always on such a high. But when you're also working in the city and you're running from thing to thing with traffic and with your co-stars, it becomes a little bit like a very exciting game, if you will. Like you're just kind of like, trying to make it through all these obstacles like like Donkey Kong or Tetris throughout the day. <laughs> and uh but it's been fun. We I'm tonight is our Paris premiere here at the well it's it's our New York premiere at the Paris Theater. They're taking it uh. over and it's the Emily and Paris Theater. But I'm right before that doing Seth Meyers. So wow. after I talk to you, I will get back into hair and makeup, change go to Seth Meyers, change for the premiere, go to the premiere, and I fly home tomorrow. So it's it's a whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> and when you talk to, to people, I guess take me to kind of the, the strategy of promoting the show. There's probably certain talking points that you have in mind. You talk to your press team. Mm-hmm. You want to get people excited about yeah. this next season and remind people kind of where we left off at the end of mm-hmm. season two and what, what drama Emily was confronting at the time. And then how do you kind of leave it open? Because with some of these conversations, I imagine... Colbert or Seth Meyers, you got to be quick on your feet to sort of expect the unexpected. So what's the balance between kind of bringing some authenticity, but also kind of keeping to the keeping to the talking points? It's hard also because a show like this, there are spoilers and you can't Mm. spoil what happens at the end of the season. But you want to get people intrigued. So there have to be like these little breadcrumbs. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it is happening so quickly. There's a live audience again. And you do pre-interviews. So, you know, you talk to a producer and, and they have talking points that they bring up. And then you can have little anecdotes or things you want to talk about. So the conversation can be a little bit guided as to where you're headed, what you can't talk about, what you can. But then, of course, once you get on that stage, whether it's, Colbert or Seth Meyers or Jimmy Fallon, you know, 
they all have, and Jimmy Kimmel, of course, too, this effervescent, infectious energy that it may just go left. Like right. their conversation could be going one direction and then they say a joke and the trajectory goes off in some other direction and it really becomes like improv. And I think back a lot. It's really funny. I think back to my time at school at, at Harvard West, like with scene monkeys and like improv groups and how I never yeah. actually took part in that, but I did take part in the producing acting directing program with Christopher Moore and of course the the late great Ted Walsh and mm-hmm. you know I think about the courses we took in improv and I was like I never I don't know I'm not really an improv person like am I really going to need that am I going to do that and now it comes into play all the time because I'm constantly faced with these situations where you have to be in the in the moment it's live tv like you are on and if you don't lean into whatever conversation's happening you will not be present. It will not work. <laughs> you are the yeah. face on TV that is, it's just going to go downhill. And so having these like little memories of how to be in the moment and like truly embracing whatever is happening in front of you is so necessary on these talk shows because you remember the talking points and you know that there's going to be a segue coming up soon from one conversation to the other or like a little tidbit like a a breadcrumb of oh yeah that's the next topic we should go into but these guys are also comedians and so you have Mm -hmm. to remember that at the end of the day it's their show you're a guest on it and you're celebrating their show and they're celebrating what you're promoting. So there's like kind of a meeting in the middle sure. and it becomes like a little comedy act, a little duo and it's fun. I like to just have fun with it and there's, it can feel pressurized, but the less pressure you put on yourself to have it be like this perfect thing, you just have to go with it as like a taped conversation and they only want the best for the show in general. Right. So they only yeah. want to, be nice and cool and invite you on and have a good time. So that's kind of how I try to go about it. <laughs> and so you, you mentioned breadcrumbs. Can you give us, for those who are fans of the show, maybe one yeah. or two breadcrumbs about the upcoming season three of Emily in Paris? Yeah. Um, there's more love triangles, which gets more complicated. There's more <laughs> love triangles. and And honestly... It feels a little bit like a geometry lesson by the end of the season because <laughs> yeah. in the very finale... It all just kind of like blows up in a sense when you're like, wait, I thought I understood what was happening. Okay, now there's like, I mean, by the way, thank God there is a season four because if not, I would think that there would be an uproar because it just leaves you hanging and you definitely need to go on to another one. Um, But also there, let's see, there's new characters. Okay. A couple new characters that come in that cause drama which we interesting love. hence the additional triangles i imagine right yes they add a little spice factor and we we get to go to some new locations obviously in paris that are iconic mm. um but also we explore for a whole episode outside in provence which was really fun you you really get to see this season a lot more of the other characters which ah as a producer on the show, I, and as Emily, but as a producer on the show, I am so excited and proud of because I love all the other characters on this show so much. And the actors that play them are just so brilliant at what their roles are within this show and in kind of the culture of the show. And they bring so much to it that I was really proud to get to 
extrapolate like more on their stories that don't involve Emily as well. So it's like if you yeah. really if you felt like you saw a piece of yourself in the characters in season one and season two, this season more than ever, you get to explore that deeper, which was really wonderful. Well, I know my wife would love to see more of Gabrielle, the, the character who plays Gabrielle. That's yeah. really she's a huge fan of yours, Lily, but I, I get the feeling she just wants more screen time of the uh, <laughs> actor who plays Gabrielle. Well, she'll get that. She'll get that and she'll get more. There's quite a lot more screen time for a lot of those guys. And I think that I think by the season finale, she'll be um, she might be throwing something at the TV. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of that's drama, like a crouton like more than a more than a bread. Yeah, it's a bit of a crouton, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. You mentioned that you're uh, you're a producer on the show. I'm curious yeah. about the the responsibility, the leadership responsibility of being both a producer and the series lead. You are Emily mm-hmm. in Emily in Paris. How do you think about your responsibility when you're on set in terms of setting an example, leading by example, in this case, giving more screen time and mm-hmm. you know, depth of character to some of your co-stars? Like, How do you try to maintain positive spirits and people moving forward around you when you're kind of the, the centerpiece of the show? I've had the privilege of really learning from extremely talented, kind number ones on the call sheet from a very beginning of my career. I started my first movie with Sandra Bullock being number one. The Blind Side. The Blind Side, yeah. And I I then have worked with Julia Roberts, Julianne Moore, Tilda Swinton, Jennifer Connelly, Annette Bening, incredible women who lead with such passion and kindness and professionalism and also want to celebrate the crew and lead by example in terms of showing up on time, being kind to everyone, whether it's on or off screen, treating everyone the same, memorizing their lines, coming prepared. You know, when you're first in and last out every single day, there has to be a sense of teamwork and setting the bar in a place where people want to come to work and want to be a part of something for the greater good. And I'm very grateful to be able to be a part of this crew. I, I you know, we yeah. have a lot of the same faces from season one that are behind the camera and they're the ones that make the show happen. And I think it's really important because we're coming back year after year. So much happens in our private lives throughout the off season that it's important when we do come back to be as passionate, as excited, as present as we were during season one, even though other things have happened in our lives, because we're all in it together to make it what it is. And and what it is is now a season three of a show that we're lucky enough for it to be a global success. And I just think in order to empower others in the show to use their voice and to take their characters to the most extreme that they can and really have a new platform for their own lives and for the characters. I want to encourage that. I want to do that for me, but I really want to encourage that for them. And, you know, season one, when the show came out, we got renewed for a season two and we got to take the, I don't want to say like necessarily criticism, but the notes and the comments that people had for season one and go, okay, well, what can we do to make it better? to, you know, create more of the fabric and texture of Paris to allow other characters to come in and shine and have storylines that involve Emily or don't involve Emily and hire a new cast. And, 
I think it's important for me to have diversity, inclusivity behind and in front of the camera in all ways. And that is something that we continue to celebrate season to season. And I think I've always been a producer before I knew what a producer was, Mm. even at Harvard Westlake, um, piecing together people and groups and projects and creating things from the ground up and wanting to be behind the camera just as much as in front. Uh, it's something I've I've always wanted to do before I really knew what the term meant. Uh, and now getting to do that on a show like this, celebrating all the people involved is um, was kind of the best lesson season one to now. And I guess let's take this a step broader, which is you have your responsibility to the people in front of and behind the camera on your show. You're also a public figure that I imagine feels some sense of responsibility to the people who watch the show and maybe in, in particular the young girls who watch Emily in Paris. You've been open about struggles you had as a young person. You've written a book mm-hmm. that included talking about an eating disorder that you struggled with as a mm-hmm. young person. Kind of what responsibility do you feel about revealing those things about yourself and how has that changed how you view kind of the, the power that that holds as a public person? I was very much inspired by reading young girls and boys actually stories on socials that were sent to me Mm. about their experiences within their own bodies, their own perspectives on themselves, insecurities, whether that's emotional, physical. And they always prefaced it by saying, I don't think you can understand this or relate to it because you're an actress and you're in the public. And Mm. I felt so backwards to me because it's exactly part of the reason as to why I could relate to it. And I was so, I was so moved by their boldness and confidence to express their stories and kind of their nonlinear journeys to recovery or just communicating to others, like their hunger to speak to other people their age to express and to emote was exactly like what I had gotten from peer support, which I, Mm. you know, we spoke about before as to like how important that was for me. And because of what they were telling me and their bravery, I thought, well, I, I want to do the same thing. I want to unload some baggage. I want to feel like I can move through things. I want to talk. I want to communicate and feel as well. And so I wrote my book and talked about what I talked about in order to show others that they weren't alone. And then in return, the biggest gift for me was I was then reminded that I wasn't alone because I then communicated with people who read the book or saw whether it was to the bone or other movies I've done where they say, wow, I I had no idea. Like this is my story and we can relate on so many levels. Yeah. And it just, it was, it opened me up to a whole new kind of phase of understanding for me that maybe I had pushed aside or not really taken the time to, to process when I was in high school. And I think, you know, because the period in which I write about was during school. And there was a lot that I probably would have loved to have communicated to others about. But it's also that phase when you're like, do I talk about this? What is this? You don't really fully understand what you're going through. And in retrospect, you do a little more because you're, you know, you grow up, you, you, certain things don't apply to you anymore in terms of reasoning or understanding you grow through things. And so I know that I'm, a public figure and I know that what I say carries weight and I know that by opening up and communicating that that impacts and I've seen it because I've had the conversations but I think that 
I've never shied away from having uncomfortable conversations or ones that we think are associated with shame yeah. or stigma. And I, I think that that's really important. And I would have loved to have had more of those when I was younger. Yeah. And so, and I would love for other people to have those conversations like creating peer support at all schools. You know, I'm like, yeah. I felt so lucky to have that. So I think with a show like this, where we get to celebrate and highlight people, and I'll say specifically women in the workplace that are unapologetically themselves and work-driven and yeah. and support each other and love love of all ages and love themselves and, and are learning and are vulnerable and asking for help, which is a sign of strength, not weakness. Like I think that there's so many positive attributes that the show promotes and I'm proud of because I feel like this kind of pop culture, sugar-coated, escapist, fun show can also have a groundedness and a depth that everyone can relate to. And that's the kind of thing I want to watch, but also that I would hope people would get something out of more than just, oh, the fashion. Because right. the fashion's great, the fashion's but I think great. that there's more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get back a, a little bit back in time to to Harvard Westlake and even before Harvard Westlake. Your mom is a Westlake alumna, as I understand. She is. Did you yes. grow up hearing about Westlake, hearing stories about Westlake even prior to coming to Harvard Westlake? I had. I I had heard certain teachers' names. Mm -hmm. I had heard certain stories because my mom and my grandmother had told me that she was like kind of the re the rebellious ah. girl of the grade. So I'd I'd heard stories, and Elizabeth Gregory had taught my mom, and then she interviewed me at the lower campus as my entrance interview, which wow. was so interesting because when I was having my interview, she was telling me stories about my mom, and then my mom came in, and it was just it was such a strange, amazing full circle type of experience where I had heard stories and then I too got to spend time in those halls in the grand hall before it was renovated, you know, yeah. after we graduated, it was renovated. But so it looked the same as when my mom went there Yeah, and I know my uncle went to Harvard and so ah, he had gone I to the other that. campus and it, yeah, it was just kind of amazing that I ended up being able to continue on at this school, having heard about it for so long and seeing all the photos of all the different anniversaries and graduations and all of that. So it was, it was very special. I took place, you know, I was in great expectations in the great hall where <laughs> my mom had her graduation. Like it was just very funny. Wow. And so in terms of teachers there, you've mentioned a few people, you mentioned Chris Moore, you mentioned Ted Walsh. Mm. I don't know if you want to speak more about those or whether there were other teachers at Harvard Westlake that you think back to, in addition to peer support, that had an influence or an impact on you? Miss Medawar. Mm, yeah. Think about Miss Medawar and Shakespeare and English and her energy and her love of literature and her warmth. I remember going into those rooms early in the mornings. Mr. Moore and I still keep in touch. I invited ah. him to a screening, a screening of a, of a movie a few years ago, and it was so special to invite him to see something that I had done because he had such a huge impact on me. I mean, I'm still friends with certain people that were in our acting class together and like Jamie Gallagher, who is now writing and directing and he directed me in his first play 
in Mr. Moore's class. And it was just, it's so special to kind of see where people are going now. Like Josh, oh, and Josh Margolin wrote a project that my father-in-law was just in. And it's just so, it's just so funny now, like the mixing of the worlds and I remember I just learned so much from, I still call him Mr. Moore. He's always like, call me Christopher. I'm like, okay, Mr. Moore, Christopher Moore. Um, and Ted Walsh, just the the passion and the energy and the love and the dedication to what they do. And it really impacted me a lot because there was an intimacy to the industry that it created because it really was about the love of the craft and, and, and yeah. inhibiting character and knowing backstory and all of that as opposed to I just want to be on camera and famous. It had nothing to do with that. It was about the art and the craft and learning. And it just kind of set the tone for why I wanted to pursue it outside of school. I'm curious about with Miss Meadowar being an English teacher. Now you and your husband, I believe, have a production company. I believe your husband's a we director. Do. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. He's a writer and a director. And so do you find yourselves, obviously, you're always thinking about the story uh, on Emily in mm. Paris and your own backstory and motivations and things, but do you find yourself calling upon your English training as much as your kind of mm. acting training now that you're doing more producing and directing? Yeah. Well, I've also just always loved literature yeah. and English and I've always been a grammar <laughs> a grammarian <laughs> I'm literally always correcting grammar sometimes to the point of annoyance but it's Do just... you believe in the Oxford comma by the way? Do you know what the Oxford comma is? I don't know if I do know the So Oxford. if we were to say um, the people who were at the party were Eli comma Lily Oh my god are you going to say before an and? Yes so I always believed in it and only until the last year when I'm noticing no one's using it yeah. that I don't use it now and I just don't I'm so torn. Yeah. I grew up doing it yep. and now I'm like I don't know if I'm supposed to lose it or not. Yeah. Is it a thing still? We include it on on things that are hard yeah. to rest. Like that's part of our yeah. but I do see it not used a lot. We we've really lost the whole audience. A whole audience is listening to this podcast wanting to hear about You know what? Let's Emily in Paris that. and fashion and <laughs> who Emily is going to be dating in season three. And we're talking about the Oxford comma. That's why I'm not Seth Meyers. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll bring it up tonight. Yes. Um, but I do. I really, I think it's really important when you're looking at a scene or a script or anything that you're entering into that there's something that's happened before and there's something that happens after and you may not ever see it, but you have to know it. Right. And for me, or even with writing or journalism, which I went into after school, I was a journalist. And English, I've always said English lit. If I went back to school, I would want to dive into more because I had teachers that were just so passionate about it. And I think, you know, with our production company now, finding IP, creating mm-hmm. original content or right. finding articles and books, like we are leaning on literature, whether it's already there for the taking or that we're creating new and and charlie's a writer and i have written in a different sense but we're constantly leaning on that and at least for me i'm always thinking about my history with literature and how much i've loved it and reading aside i don't get to read as much as i would love to anymore for fun yeah but when i'm reading i'm taking in all of it in different ways because I was such a diligent student in literature and in English. And it was always more where my brain gravitated towards as opposed to like more of the math side and the science. It was always more the literature. 
and Shakespeare and stuff like that. So when you're at Harvard Westlake, I know because I chaperoned your career day trip. You did chaperone my career day. Oh my god! It was it was uh wasn't it Entertainment Tonight? We went to Entertainment Tonight for the listening audience, and Mary Hart was our Mary Hart, yes, was our host. That and is the, so wild. The irony that now she's a person in the press who interviews people yeah. about their shows, or, or at least was, and um, yeah. and here you are uh, being interviewed about your show. Were you? As a kind of senior in high school, I know you went to USC, uh, kind mm -hmm. of after high school, were you committed to acting at that point? Were you wanting to kind of just learn more about the industry in general? Kind of when did you know, I think acting's for me? Well, since I was like two, I was in a TV show in England. Ah. I was on the British version of Growing Pains. But you know what? I hardly ever count that because I don't really know okay. that much. Although I have some footage, so I'm constantly reminded. But I, I was 16 years old and I remember... I finally like admitted how I really, really wanted to become an actress or get into it more publicly as opposed to just like high school plays or things like that, Yeah, which is amazing. And it's very all encompassing to, to be in high school focused on education, but at the same time performing, I just thought, okay, there's, I want to do film. I want to do TV. I also want to produce, like I want to be out there more, but I also knew that I wanted to carve my path in a very specific way because I've also wanted to still be a student. I didn't want to leave school. Yeah. I wanted to start pursuing it, but I didn't know. I mean, you can't always predict what's going to happen, right? If you booked something, which I tested for a couple of shows at Harvard West, like I remember being on the bleachers with Liana and she was reading me lines for my Gossip Girl audition. Oh, and wow. then I ended up testing for Gossip Girl, didn't get it, but I would have had to move to New York and not graduated. But it was, I always wanted to graduate and then really kick it off after that but yeah. you never know the speed in which your the trajectory will happen but i knew where i wanted to go but i didn't know the timing yeah so when i graduated at that point i was already working for nickelodeon and reporting from red carpets and shows and i at 18 got the job to do kids pick the president so i went off and did the nominations and i then went for the election and i went for Obama's inauguration. And at that time, I was also at USC. And I was working in journalism there, studying it. But I had taken a six month hiatus at the beginning to kind of figure out more of my career path. And then I went back to school to do both. And then I booked my first movie, which I had to fly back and forth for finals to USC and go to Atlanta to shoot the blind side. Yeah. And I did it, completed it. But then the next thing that I got was a more grueling schedule and didn't allow for flying around. And I thought, you know what, this is something I would regret not pursuing. I'm curious about the blind side. I mean, that was your mm -hmm. first kind of big movie role. The movie was a massive hit looking back. It was one of mm. the kind of highest grossing movies of that year. But also you mentioned at the centerpiece of that movie was... Sandra Bullock, who won an Oscar. Yeah, which is wild. Everyone had said to me, they're like, this is not normal for your first movie, so don't get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, this, this isn't like a normal trajectory. Yeah. And it was, you know, unexpected that it would do that well and have that much kind of crossover yeah. appeal. And can you talk a little bit about Sandra Bullock in that movie? You mentioned it earlier and kind of learning by her example. If she was sort of the first mm -hmm. example like that that you experienced, what do you remember about working on that movie with her in general? She just became this kind of mama bear, big sister type of 
presence in my life who I remember watching with admiration and awe and how she treated everyone on set the same, how she asked questions that were so far outside what I thought an actor would ask because I just figured actors only, I can't speak for every actor, but I just kind of thought that most asked questions that were about them. And she was asking questions about everything to do with the set and the lighting and the shots and mm. what was this person doing and what's your name? And, what, and, and it was just this grander scope that I was exposed to right away on my first set and how nurturing she was in every scene. I mean, she plays my mom, but she very much was that character on and off set for me. And mm. we've stayed in touch and she continues to be this kind of support system and guardian in a sense you know from a from the outside and she's as cool as you want her to be and you think she's going to be you know and yeah. and so lovely and so to to have that be the first role model within a job really set the tone moving forward of like oh no i do want to do this you know i could have had a really bad experience the one yeah. that left me with a bad taste in my mouth whereas for me it was the opposite it was something very encouraging and very warm and just left me wanting to do more. And I just, I adore her and what she stands for. And I was so excited to see her be celebrated in that way because it was kind of the first foray into something different for her in a long time. And so to be a part of that for her, yeah. telling that specific story that seems to resonate with people continuously, it was a, a dream first experience. I want to ask you kind of some get to know you questions to finish up, but there, are there other people in the entertainment industry now that you've been at this for more than a decade as an actor and not just with Emily in Paris, but with various movie roles? And you said you've worked mm -hmm. with some amazing actors and amazing women. When you think to if there are one or two other people that you think of as real mentors within the entertainment industry, who jumps to mind? Julia. Julia Roberts. We also do Lancome together, you know, our endorsements with Lancome. Ah. And I've just been able to spend time with her, not only with Mirror Mirror that we filmed together, the Snow White movie, but yep. since then, throughout the years, either spending time in foreign cities with her, shooting with her, but also just getting to spend one-on-one -on -one time with her where we chat about things that aren't necessarily in the industry, but also just as a, as a support and her family. I worked with her husband on a TV show. He's an amazing DP. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten to know them in that way. And her kids I've known for so long. So just again, having someone to look up to like that was just so important as a young woman growing up in the industry to witness that was so special and to continue to have that relationship. And then I would say as like a director, being able to work with David Fincher, who taught me so much about, gosh, about movie making and the business, you know, we, my husband has been close with, with him and his partner, Sion, for a long time. And we've been able to spend such wonderful time together that's not on a film set. And I've learned so much about perspective, priorities, and how to exist within the industry in a way to stay sane, yeah. stay motivated, stay inspired, and to surround yourself with this passionate, no-nonsense attitude that also is very grounded. Because there can be times, and even I'll admit, like you get so wrapped up in, wow, this is amazing, this is exciting, that you want to just continue to be around people that pull you back down and ground you. 
and to have someone who's so incredible and up there in their craft take a chance on you and teach you and nurture that creativity that's what I want to cling on to and kind of spend more time with and it's like I, I feel very lucky to be able to have mentors like that so before we go we have a few get to know you questions on the supporting cast Harvard Westlake is located in LA I know you were born in the UK but you were raised in Los Angeles and the the questions are about Los Angeles we are known for of course our movies our food and our climate so first what is your favorite movie Lily I will go with The Breakfast Club. Ah. I love John Hughes. I loved Molly Ringwald growing up as well. And the score. But I always loved the idea of there just being these like five drastically different characters that all come together yep. and like how they interact. And I've always been interested in kind of human nature and psychology and kind of why people are attracted to what and how you exist within certain groups and what you learn about yourself. So I'll go with that one. What is your favorite food in L.A.? Meaning it could mm -hmm. be either a restaurant that you frequent whenever you're in town or whether it's something you yeah. and your husband make at home. Kind of what, what do you think about when you say your favorite food? I'm going to go with All Time, All Time Restaurant on the east side. Ah, it's called All Time. It's called All Time. And yeah, it's just like the best fresh produce, amazing dishes. The energy, the atmosphere is great. It's cozy. It's familiar, and I have great memories there. I would definitely say that one. Okay, and it's in Eastside, like Silver Lake, Los Feliz area? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what street it's on. Hillhurst. It's on Hillhurst. Oh, it's on Hillhurst, okay. And um, what's your favorite place in L.A. when you think about the city? I'm going to go, we just moved. Uh -huh. My husband and I just moved. And I'm going to go with our house because we've spent a lot of time creating a home for ourselves that we love and we love being in yeah and we have our little dog redford and it's just it's a it's quiet it's our own it's inspiring and it's a little oasis and i'm i love it last question i am the parent of two little girls actually i have a four-year-old daughter and, oh, congratulations. and a one and a half year old daughter thank you and i always ask for at the end of every episode, uh, parenting advice. I know you are not a parent, at least yet. Um, but hopefully I'm, one day. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully <laughs> one day. I'm curious about, as someone who grew up and had, had some challenges in, in high mm -hmm. school and as a teenager, and I know that you sought the support of peer support and found great value yeah. in that. What would be your advice to me as a parent, maybe a parent especially of girls, as they mm. grow up and maybe face some of those similar challenges as many young girls do, what would be your advice to me as a dad of how to support my kids through through ups yeah. and downs of adolescence? That's a lovely question to be asked. Um, even if you don't understand what they're going through, just listen. Yeah. And without judgment and just be there to hear them feel all the feelings and talk about all the feelings. And because sometimes all it takes is just listening, you know, not, not needing to always feel like you have to offer advice or fix something because sometimes it's not necessarily fixable. It's just the talking and the listening that helps because I think that really creates a safe and nurturing environment to feel safe to talk. And it starts, I think, at home to feel safe to talk. 
and there can be a lot of complicating feelings as you mature and grow up and become the person that you're going to become. And I guess if you're saying as a dad to a daughter, not being able to maybe relate in all the ways, but to be able to, to show up and empathize and feel comfortable to hear those things, no matter how foreign they may be, because that will make a world of difference. So to create kind of the circumstances of peer support, not just at school, but at home as well. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that support will always be loved and needed. Well, Lily, thank you so much for thank you. joining thank the you supporting cast. Yes, and, uh, this has been wonderful. And good luck with your week and hope to see you back in LA someday soon. I would love that. And I hope to come back and visit everyone soon. We'd love to have you. I love. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much.